This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Tuesday, May 17th, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. Big firms that choose to settle claims of misconduct with the Justice Department once again find themselves encouraged to take a deal. And that deal sometimes means avoiding massive fines in exchange for funding pet causes, sometimes overtly political ones for the administration. So says Cato's Will Yateman. He argues it's a powerful way to subvert Congress's power of the purse and leave taxpayers in the lurch, too. If you are a, let's say, a polluting industry or just say a disfavored industry and the Justice Department brings charges and you are found liable in some way and fines are levied, where does that money go? Civil uh, penalties, fines, those monies go to the United States Treasury. And that's required by the Constitution. Well, indeed, look, there are exceptions, for example, how the certain agencies like the CFPB are funded directly from the Federal Reserve. But yes, uh, as a general matter and making it simple, yes, the Constitution requires that money to go to the U.S. Treasury and it can only you know, flow out from the U.S. Treasury by act of Congress. OK, so what is the difference between that and industries settling with the government? And instead of paying fines directly to the Treasury, uh, they fund some project. It's a tremendous uh, difference. I mean, it's, as a matter of um, the Constitution, it, it, it's quite frankly an affront to the Congress's exclusive power of the purse um, when these monies, instead of going into the U.S. Treasury, go to fund pet projects of the administration in question. Um, it's also, I would say, that the taxpayer, I mean, you know, should be pretty interested too, you know, to the extent that instead of going, you know, again, into the Treasury for the general welfare of the people of the United States, it's going to these narrow, um, you know, special interests, frankly. So how does this work? Let's understand the, the mechanics of this. Uh, I am Industry X and you're the DOJ. And you've got a problem with my behavior and you brought charges. I'm found liable. What next? Quick clarification to your question. So it, it will be the DOJ, but it's also going to be in cahoots with a regulatory agency. Um, so, uh, you know, who will actually be bringing the regulatory enforcement action or initiating. Okay. So will. EPA, FERC, any number of the alphabet soup agencies. Exactly. All right. So uh, what would happen is an agency initiates one of these regulatory enforcement actions. Um, and it, basically, the government, you know, settlement discussions ensue and the government says, hey, um, we could fine you billions of dollars um, or we could fine you a fraction of that amount if you spend, you know, scores of millions or even billions of dollars um, on our preferred policies. And I think an example will elucidate this. Um, 2016, Dieselgate, uh, if, you're, if our listeners will remember, this was a big scandal involving Volkswagen VW when they installed what are known as defeat devices onto the cars they sold in the United States. The yeah, they were essentially system. lying to reg regulators for emissions purposes, but they were also probably lying to customers about uh, mileage and that sort of thing. Yes. I mean, it was quite a scandal and they got caught. They were lying to all sorts of people. but uh, the, And they faced tremendous civil penalties. So under the Clean Air Act, it was something like $32,000 per day per car. And they'd sold, it was, you know, something like 5 million cars. So it was huge, huge. I mean, what would have uh, easily tanked a VW if they'd been prosecuted to the full extent of the law. 
um, in lieu of scores, even hundreds of billions of dollars worth of fines, they came to a settlement with the EPA and the Justice Department um, that did include, I mean, you know, there was a, a fraction of that. I think it was $6 billion worth of civil penalties. You know, again, they faced hundreds of billions. I mean, they faced a huge amount. Um, but in addition to that, VW had to spend $1.2 billion on electric vehicle infrastructure. Um, and then, you know, the program ultimately administered by the EPA. Um, and this is outrageous because President Obama twice before had come to Congress asking for appropriations to fund electric vehicle infrastructure. And twice, Congress had demurred. And ultimately, this $1.2 billion that came about via this slush fund settlement process um, was twice as much as, as what the administration had sought from Congress. So that, you know, come on, that, that, that's got to right, raise some eyebrows. I mean, that seems like a pretty clear end run around Congress's power of the purse. The calculus for companies that are caught or leaned on by the Department of Justice is pretty clear. We can save billions of dollars if we just uh, spend money on this project that the, uh, the, the administration would prefer, that DOJ nominally is the one uh, putting together the terms of the settlement. Um, if those companies can avoid uh, spending that money in, the, in terms of fines directly to the Treasury, what's wrong with that? Well, I would say there's a pretty darn big problem with that. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's not just that it's uh, obviously ripe for abuse, it's that it's actually been abused. Um, so it's not, you know, the example I just set forth about VW, that, that's pretty stark. I mean, that's a pretty clear cut, again, end run around Congress's power of the purse. Um, other examples during the Obama administration, again, where this practice was really refined and, um, you know, its, its scope was expanded greatly. Um, these bank settlements pursuant to the 2008-2009 crisis, um, billions of dollars ultimately in settlements uh, were reached with City, uh, Citigroup, um, Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, and the like. Uh, pursuant to these settlements, scores of millions of dollars went to legal aid groups and, and nonprofits like um, La Raza. Um, was one that, that that was you know and these are groups that's typical of the groups that receive this money and I've got nothing against the La Raza group but you know they they do engage in overtly political campaigns and it's just it's it's not quite clear whether or not that's an appropriate use of uh of these settlement funds so um uh, yes I mean you argue what's the problem here it's that we seem to have these kind of uh, conspicuous examples of administration, an administration using its regulatory power, enforcement power, its prosecutorial discretion um, to reward political allies um, and also, you know, to advance policies that were rejected by Congress. So I, I, I think that's problematic. All right. So to the extent that did this go away during the Trump administration or was it just dramatically reduced or what? It, it went away. Um, so I'll note here that the, the Obama administration's activities incurred interest from Congress. Um, there was a bill, uh, you know, whose title says it all, the Stop Slush Fund Settlements Act um, of 2007. Or, no, I'm sorry, this was in the 114th Congress. Um, long and short of it is, right before Trump got elected, it passed the House. However, it died on the vine in the Senate 
when Trump got elected in November of 2016. Um, to its credit, the Trump administration unilaterally disavowed this mechanism. So in, in 2017, um, June of 2017, then Attorney General Jeff Sessions issued a memo in which he said, hey, no more of these third-party funding settlements. Um, and then subsequently in what? It was December of 2020, you know, one of the last actions in office during the Trump administration, the DOJ, the J Justice Department codified um, the Sessions memo into the Code of Federal Regulations. So indeed, for uh, four years, there was none of this stuff going on. So the Biden administration, beginning in 2021, did what? Day one, uh, President Biden, among his record-setting pace of, of executive orders released in his first year of, uh, of his presidency, on day one, he ordered the Justice Department to take another look at this Trump-era policy. And uh, for, I guess, uh, until recently, the the uh, the Justice Department, uh, you know, hadn't done much in respond to this executive order. However, recently, Attorney General Merrick Garland gave a speech in which he said, "We're going to reinstitute um, these sorts of third-party settlements." Um, and a concomitant with that speech, that same day, the Justice Department issued uh, an interim final rule. Um, one that takes effect immediately that rescinds the Trump era measure um, that, again, had, had blocked, prohibited this this sort of uh, slush fund settlement activity. One of the side effects of this kind of policy, especially if you're a rational actor within the Department of Justice or within a regulatory agency that would like to bring charges against some particular industry, is that the potential uh, fine to pay if you don't go along with a settlement agreement, I can imagine those actually being much, much larger. Oh, indeed. Of course, that's the whole calculus that gets them to, to you know, to spend this money to begin with. Um, so, you know, and, and I ought to note this in response to your prior question, I don't blame the companies. I mean, if you're given a deal that says, hey, every dollar you spend here, you're going to get, you know, six bucks off uh, your, your fines, then you would be letting your shareholders down. You would be letting your company down if you didn't take that offer. Um, of course, who I blame is the government, um, you know, throwing around its, its its enforcement weight in order to, you know, again, advance these sorts of policies, to strong arm regulated parties into funding their pet priorities. Um, so, you know, I, I do want to be clear in that division of blame. To what extent does Congress now have an interest in ending this practice? Let's hope that uh, this issue incurs the same sort of interest that it did, uh, you know, four odd years ago. Um, and I'll note here the champion then of these efforts was Representative Bob Goodlatte out of uh, Georgia. And he was the then chairman of the House Judiciary Committee. Um, he's since retired. Um, however, uh, the other lawmakers have picked up the mantle. Um, I know that James Lankford, Senator James Lankford out of Oklahoma, um, has been keen on this issue. But the long and short of it is the the uh, the text is out there. The, the legislative text is out there. It's been introduced in Congress repeatedly. So it were the 118th incoming Congress to contain majorities of a different party, as many uh, political observers believe, then it wouldn't surprise me. And indeed, I would welcome were the new majorities to, uh, uh, again, embrace this issue and um, and try to kind of nip it in the bud. There are some tangential issues here. I can recall that the, the tobacco industry had a, you know, there was a master settlement agreement for tobacco companies. And if I'm not mistaken, part of that settlement was for tobacco companies to fund anti-youth smoking efforts. 
Uh, we we talked about this just a little bit before we started recording, and you said that actually opens a whole new can of worms. Indeed. Well, you know, it, it's got these First Amendment implications. I would say those are even worse. And I guess uh, uh, full disclosure, I love cigarettes and now I love vaping. But the uh, um, the long and short of it there is, in addition to, you know, kind of setting aside money for groups that, you know, whose avowed purpose is to take down the industry in question, um, they're forcing them to spend money on speech that is, in essence, you know, denigrates their product. So that compelled speech angle actually kind of makes those even worse. Um, but that's, uh, you know, again, different, different can of worms, different ball of wax. Will Yateman is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice. And follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast. 